The following audio is from West Pines Community Church. For more information about West Pines, visit us online at westpines.org. You can join us live Sunday mornings at 9 a.m., 10.30 a.m., or 12 p.m. in Pembroke Pines, Florida, or online at westpines.org. So today we're going to talk about a particular passage. The thing I love about Scripture is that it's what I, it has what I call layers. Um, there's so many different lessons you can learn from one passage of Scripture. If you read a passage, you can read it over and over and glean different things. And that's the coolest thing about the Bible to me is that it's so rich with information and with lessons. What other book can you think of that you can read so many times and gain something new every time? So we're going to look at a story today that for some of us is going to be familiar. It's a story of Zacchaeus. Some of us just started singing the song in our head. Um, that's okay. Um, but for some of us, that's familiar. For some of us, this may be the first time you've heard this story. But either way, I'm hoping to find a way to look at this story and look at one of the layers that we uncover under Scripture that I think will help us as we're dealing with what's happened this week and hopefully give you some thoughts on how to, to process some of that. So we're going to look at Zacchaeus today. It's chapter uh, Luke chapter 19. We're going to get into that in a minute. Before we get into that, one of the things we're going to talk about today, or the main thing we're going to talk about, is this idea of generosity. Now, before you get nervous, it's not about church giving. Uh, We're talking about personal generosity, and this is something for me in particular that's been a challenge in my entire life, because I feel like this idea of generosity is one of the most fulfilling things that can happen to you, but it's also very difficult to execute. And I know for me personally, I've kind of gone on this journey of trying to figure out how to be more generous with the resources I've been given, even to the point that I had a friend a couple of years ago that was very, very well off. And one of the things he shared with me is that he has a certain amount of money, a lot of money, set off to the side that he uses just for people that are in need. So if he comes across somebody that's in financial need, he just, out of that fund, helps them deal with that issue, which to me was, just blew me away. Like, I'm like, I want to have a fund like that. That's amazing. You know, so I, it's kind of haunted me ever since he shared that with me because I've always thought of myself as a somewhat generous person, but... That's like next level generosity. That's like planning for generosity. So as we're talking through that, and as as I've been kind of haunted about that, I've kind of been thinking over a long period of time, what does that look like for us? And then as I got into the scripture this week, um, I knew I was going to teach on the scripture for a couple of weeks, so I kind of had an idea where I was going to go before this week started and kind of came into it. I, I tend to, the way I prepare is I just mull things over and I come up with ideas, and and then I kind of do my study once I've kind of got some of that framework done. So I usually study on Wednesdays. So I came in Wednesday to study, and I had this idea where I was going to go, and if you know me at all, you know me, I like, I got tunnel vision. If I'm going this way, that's the way I'm going, and nothing's going to change that. So I come in Wednesday morning, and I start to study the scripture, and I feel God tugging me in a different direction. And, And I struggle with that because I already have a direction. I don't need a different direction. I already have one. But I feel God pushing me in this other direction. So, you know, at that point in the week, some pretty tragic things had already happened, and, and I'm feeling the weight of that. And, and I really realized that, you know what, I've got to see where God's going with this because, you know, I'm going to have to get up this weekend and, and somehow bring some comfort to those that are struggling. So I go through the study that day, and I I realize that God's taking me in this different direction. So I start to unpack it, the story of Zacchaeus and a different thing. And as I'm going through that, I begin to realize what God's doing. 
And I want to look at that today because I think this idea of generosity is something that we need to unlock in ourselves. Because I know for me personally, it's been a challenge. I know uh, one of the times, I know for all of us, but I think we all want to feel that, right? We want to feel that satisfaction that comes from generosity. So several years ago, our boys are now old and moved out. However, we're not old. Um, But when they were at home, one of the things Melissa and I would do is we would split them up on Wednesdays and we would each take them to breakfast individually. Uh, We'd rotate back and forth and we'd go to breakfast with them before school and we would have these conversations and then take them to school. So being a reader, I was always reading books about fatherhood and all that kind of stuff. So I would come to breakfast with these really deep questions to ask them. Um, You can imagine how deep a conversation you can have with a teenager at seven o'clock in the morning is. Um, So it pretty much go like this. Hey, I think it was Bailey this particular day. Hey, Bailey, I was thinking about this really deep question. Let me tell you what. He's like, I don't know. Okay, that's pretty much how it went every week. So we picked Dunkin' Donuts this day. I know that's surprising. So we're at Dunkin' Donuts. We go get our breakfast. We're sitting down. We're having this deep conversation. Actually, I'm having a deep conversation. He's hoping it'll be over soon. Um, And as we're having this conversation, I look over, and a couple of tables away, there's what's obviously a homeless lady sitting at the table. And it starts to bother me. Like, what can I do? Like, how can I help? I don't know what to do. I don't, I don't want to make her feel conspicuous, so I don't want to do something obvious. But I'm kind of the whole time we're having this conversation, in the back of my mind, I can see her over his shoulder. I'm having this conversation with myself about, i, I got to do something, but I don't know what to do. I mean, how can I help her? So as we get towards the end of our breakfast, um, she gets up and goes to the restroom. I'm like, this is my opportunity. So I grab Bailey pull out my wallet, pull some money out of there, and leave it on the table, and we leave. Now, the honest truth is, I don't know what happened after that. I don't know if somebody else came and got the money before she came back from the bathroom. I don't know if she used it for the right thing or the wrong thing. But what I do know is that is stuck with me. It stuck with me, and I think not knowing what happened was probably an important part of that because I may or may not have been happy with what happened, but that moment has stuck with me, and I hope it's stuck with Bailey. I think it was Bailey. I'm not sure if it was Bailey or Nick. I'm getting forgetful. Um, But I hope it stuck with him because those are the moments that we want to feel, and I left there feeling pretty good. You know, I'm not going to lie. I felt pretty good. I kind of was on a high all day and excited, and hopefully I made a difference. And um, So those are the kind of feelings that we want to, have more often, but how do we do that? And I want to look at this passage today and kind of unpack an idea when it comes to that. Let's look at this at this particular scripture, Luke 19, starting in verse 1. It says this, he entered Jericho and was passing through, and behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich, and he was seeking to see who Jesus was. But on account of the crowd, he could not because he was small in stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see for him, to see him, for he was about to pass that way. I know since I said sycamore tree, you're singing the song again in your head. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry down for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all grumbled. He has gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor, and if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he also is a son of Abraham, for the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. Now, 
For some of us, if you've been in church most of your life, you've heard that story before. It is a wonderful picture of salvation. It's a wonderful picture of how that works. But I want to look at it a little differently today. If this is your first time to hear that, hopefully this will ring true for you also because I think there's a different angle that we can take on this that will help us as we're figuring out this idea of how to deal with what happened this week. If we look back, I want to break this down a little bit. Let's look back at verses 1 through 3 and figure out who is this Zacchaeus guy? Like, who is this guy? So let's just read verses 1 through 3. He entered Jericho and was passing through, and behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich, and he was seeking to seek Jesus who was. He was seeking to see who Jesus was, but on account of the crowd, he could not because he was small in stature. Okay, so this guy Zacchaeus, he's a tax collector. Now, in those times, what the Roman government would do is they would assign these officials out in the different towns and cities, and they were responsible for collecting the tax for the government, which they would then turn over to the government. That sounds fine, except for most of these are actually probably all of these officials. They were allowed to tack on a commission of sorts, but typically they would tack on much more commission than they deserved. So they were seen as kind of the scourge of the town. You know, they were constantly defrauding people. They were, they were tacking on these enormous commissions. They were, they were wealthy because of that. So they were not somebody that you would want to hang out with. On top of that, this says that Zacchaeus was the chief tax collector. The only time this is ever mentioned in the New Testament is here, the idea of a chief tax collector. So I think we can assume that Zacchaeus is not only this evil tax collector, he's probably the most evil of those tax collectors. You know, he's done some of the worst things that you can possibly imagine because he's the chief tax collector. It also says that he's very wealthy because you can imagine if he's overcharging people on their taxes, he's probably one of the most wealthy people in the area. So he's very well off. He's a guy that could be generous very easily. He's got plenty of money. And then it says, it's interesting, he says he is short in stature. Now, why is that important? Now, all of you are thinking of the song, he was a wee little man. A wee little man was he. Sorry. But that's actually part of, that's an important part of the story, but it seems kind of out of place. Why would you add that in? It didn't say he has dark hair, you know. It didn't, it just says he's short in stature. So let's read on and see what, what, what that means. Verse 4 says, So he, Zacchaeus, ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, Jesus, for he, Jesus, was about to pass that way. So here's the thing. This guy Zacchaeus, very wealthy. Um, regardless of whether or not he was liked, he was powerful and influential because of his wealth and because of his position. He decides to climb into a tree. Now, I'm just curious. If you can just take a minute and think about the last time you climbed a tree you were probably somewhere under 10 years old, right? It's not something that adults really do. You know, it's just not a good thing. It's something that children do. So this guy decides to do something that a child would do, and at the same time, he's drawing attention to probably the one thing that bothered him the most was that he was short in stature. So he's humbled himself because he wants to see Jesus so badly, and at the same time, he separated himself from the crowd, not just physically, but emotionally, he separated himself from the crowd. Let's read on and see what happens. Verses 5 and 6 say this, And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. So Jesus calls out to him and says, Zacchaeus, come down, I want to stay at your house. Now, you got to understand, the word used here for stay is not swing by and have a meal. It's stay for a while. So he probably stayed several nights, 
had several meals with Zacchaeus. I mean, he's spending some significant time with this guy. So Zacchaeus joyfully receives him, which most scholars believe that is the moment that he, he receives salvation, not later as we're going to see, and that's an important point as we'll look at. Let's go on to verse 7. And when they, the religious leaders, or the Pharisees as we'll call them, saw it, they, the Pharisees, grumbled, he, Jesus, has gone in to be the guest of a man who's a sinner. So the Pharisees are mad. They're like, what the heck, dude? Why aren't you hanging out with us? That's the worst person you can hang out with. He's terrible. He's evil. He does the wrong, you know, why would you go and hang out with him? So to completely understand that, I want to look at a little bit different story. If we back up one chapter into Luke 18, verse 9, there's a different story there that I think that will help you understand this situation. Luke 18, chapter 9 says this. He also, this is Jesus telling a parable. He also told a parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Here's the parable. Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like any other man, like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. Five times he's used the word I in that very short segment. So basically what the Pharisee is saying is, God, thank you that I'm so awesome. I'm amazing, and I'm giving you credit, but I just want to point out that I'm really incredible. Because here's the thing, Old Testament law only required them to fast once a year. He's fasting twice a week. So he's basically pointing out to God how good he's doing. Let's look at the other side of it, starting in verse 13. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. So you got the Pharisee and you got the tax collector, and the Pharisee's like, Lord, thank you for making me so wonderful. Thank you for making me so awesome. Just to remind you, I fast 104 times more than you actually require, um, and I give away lots of my stuff. Just wanted to make sure you knew that. And then you got this tax collector, probably what most people would consider the worst sinner of their time, who's saying, I'm not even worthy to look up. I'm, I'm, I'm evil, I'm bad, and I just ask. I ask for your help. And it's that humility that begins the process of salvation. Because that's what's required. You can't take that step until you've established that humility. So with that in mind, let's go back to our story. Verse 8 says this, And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor, and if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. That's incredible. He's going to give away half of everything he owns, not half of his earnings, not half of what's going to come in next, but half of everything he owns right now to the poor. And if he's taken anything unjustly, he's going to restore it with 400% profit. He's going to give them back four times what he took from them. That's incredible. That's a, that's a, an, a grace that's being extended beyond any possible imagination. Let's look and see what happens in verse 9. Verse 9 and 10. And Jesus said to him, 
Today salvation has come to this house since he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Now Jesus proclaims that salvation has come to Zacchaeus, but look what it says. It says, today salvation has come to this house. It doesn't say right now. It says today because what we believe is back when Zacchaeus accepted Jesus joyfully is when salvation happened. Because what Jesus is pointing out is this. I want to make sure I get it correct. He's saying that salvation came to Zacchaeus not because of what he did, but what he did is an indication of what had happened in his heart already. Very important that we don't get confused. Jesus is not saying, wow, if you did all that, then salvation must have come. He's saying, this is proof to the world that salvation has already come to this house. So if, if that's the truth, and obviously this is something that Jesus is obviously condoning this idea of generosity, then how come we don't do that? How come we struggle so much with that? I mean, shouldn't we be more generous? Shouldn't we be more open with the things that we have? Because here's the thing. For some of us, that's already been unlocked. If you've accepted Jesus, if you've claimed salvation, then that generosity has already been unlocked in your life. But here's the thing. You have to embrace that salvation to unleash that generosity. You have to embrace what's already happened to unleash the generosity in your life. So why don't we do that? Why do we struggle so much? Is it because we're selfish? Well, yes, we're selfish. That's not news. We're human. Kind of, you know, synonymous with selfish. Is that why? I don't know if that's really why. Is it because we're afraid we won't have enough? I mean, if, if, this is the, if we believe that Jesus gives us all we have and Jesus takes care of us, then how can we believe that we'll run out? How can we believe that through generosity, we can be too generous? We can allow, that Jesus would allow us to not have what we need. Because I don't think it's that. I think it's this. I think it's oftentimes we don't even know where to start because we look at a story like this or we, we think of a guy like the guy I knew that gives away so much money and we think, man, I could never do that. And I've spent my whole life saying, man, God, if, if you will give me those type of resources, I will be generous. But God says this. He says, be generous and then I'll give you those resources. Because here's what we have to do. Just take a step. If I say to you today, hey, I need you to go to the gym, and I need you to bench press 300 pounds. First of all, most of us will never get there, including myself. But let's say you're not going to go to the gym, put 300 pounds on the thing, and try to bench press it. You're going to go to the gym, you're going to start off slow, and you're going to build that muscle. It's the same thing with generosity. You don't wake up one day and decide... I'm just going to give away lots of stuff. You have to build that muscle, so you have to start somewhere. Have you ever heard people say the phrase, um, I'm going to wait till I'm ready, financially ready to have kids? Do they ever have kids? Are, they, are you ever financially ready for the most part? No, having children is an act of faith. Most of the time, you have to kind of step out. I was talking to someone earlier today who has twins, which blows my mind. Um, 
can't imagine, you know, I had trouble with one at a time. Um, and I said, how are you guys doing? And they said, well, you know what? We just take it one day at a time and God provides. There's good days and bad days, but you're never really ready. I think it's the same way with generosity. You're not going to wake up one day and go, hmm, I'm generous now. I think I will begin giving things away. You have to start with something small. You just start. Have you ever heard the phrase, fake it till you make it? Sometimes you got to fake it till you make it. And you know what will happen? Is over time you'll build that muscle and you'll become more generous and you'll become more open to the opportunities that God puts in front of you. Here's the other big challenge about generosity. Most people believe generosity is, has to do with money. I think money's the easy generosity, really. I mean, that's the easy part. We can create more money, right? I mean, if you really want to, you can make more money. Here's some of the tough ones. I think generosity with your time, that's a tough one. Because guess what? You get 24 hours in a day. That is all. No matter how much money you have, no matter how powerful you are, you get 24 hours, that's how much you get. You can't create more time. I think it's way harder to be generous with our time. What about our talents? What about the actual thing that actually creates the money that you live on? Whether it's your talent or your skill, how hard is it to be generous with that? Because, I mean, when you're generous with that, you're missing an opportunity to create more finances. Well, if I didn't create more finances, I can give more away. But how hard is it to be generous with the things that we do professionally or the things that we do as a talent or a skill? And that's what brings us to where we are today. And here's what I think the challenge is for us right now as a country. Because this, I believe, is the most difficult category to be generous. I think it is most difficult to be generous relationally. It's hard to be generous financially. It's harder to be generous with time. It could be harder to be generous with our talents and our skills. But it's extremely hard to be relationally generous. And here's what I mean by that. We're in, a, we're in a time in our world right now where there's a lot of conflict. We've seen this week there's been tragic things that have happened all week long that we can't understand. Most of those are the result of somebody deciding that they're right and somebody else is wrong and they need to do something about it. Well, let me just fill you in on something. None of us are 100% right, and none of us are 100% wrong. If you think you're 100% right, I'm sorry. It's not true. We have to be able to extend some relational generosity or some grace to those that we don't necessarily agree with. That's the only way we're going to find healing. It's the only way we're going to find unity. It's the only way we're going to find peace is to say to somebody, you know what, I don't agree with that, but I understand where you're coming from. And we can live together. Because here's the thing. The only thing that we can be 100% sure of is Jesus. That's it. There's nothing else. You can't be 100% sure the sky's blue. You can only be 100% sure of Jesus. And that's what we have to focus on because if we can somehow create unity around that, then this other stuff becomes easier to manage. 
Because if we can find something to agree on, then we can figure out how to disagree on other things. I'm going to give you a couple of quotes here. First one's from John Wesley, and it says this. Do all the good you can, by all the means you can, in all the ways you can, in all the places you can, at all the times you can, to all the people you can, as long as you ever can. Let's read that one more time. Do all the good you can, by all the means you can, in all the ways you can, in all the places you can, at all the times you can, to all the people you can, as long as you ever, as ever you can. That's where we need to be moving. Now, are we going to nail that? Maybe not. But imagine what it would look like if we start all moving in that direction. Do we all of a sudden seem to be moving closer together, even when we're on different sides of an issue? It's a little story I found this week. It's an old man talking to his son. It says this. Old man says to his son, A fight is going on inside me. It is a terrible fight between two wolves. One wolf is evil. He is anger, envy, sorrow, regret, greed, arrogance, self-pity, guilt, resentment, inferiority, lies, false pride, superiority, and ego. The other wolf is good. He is joy, peace, love, hope, serenity, humility, kindness, benevolence, empathy, generosity, truth, compassion, and faith. The same fight is going on inside you, son. The son thought about it for a minute and then asked, which wolf will win? The old man replied simply, the one you feed. Isn't that true? Isn't that what wins in our life? It's the thing that we feed. If we're going to feed hate, that's going to win. I guarantee it. If we're going to feed love, that's going to win. If we're going to feed compassion, that's going to win. If we're going to feed generosity, that's going to win. Proverbs 11.25 says this. The generous man will be prosperous, and he who waters will himself be watered. The generous man will be prosperous. Doesn't say may be prosperous. Says will be prosperous. And he who waters will himself be watered. Man, that's about as clear as it gets. That's straight from the Word of God. So if we're able to establish this idea of generosity, what does that do? Let me ask you this. If you're around somebody that's been unexpectedly generous, what does that trigger in you? Aren't you curious? You're like, man, why did he do that? That's, I wasn't expecting that. Aren't you a little curious? Like you want to ask him, why did you do that? What if people saw us being generous and then ask us why we did that? Doesn't that open up an opportunity to share the most important message they'll ever hear? Doesn't it create an interest? They're actually asking you to share. I know all of us have shared our faith when we were forcing it or when we felt like we needed to, but what if somebody asked you? It's a lot easier. I think if we as a Christian community can extend this relational generosity, we open up the opportunity to help people see Jesus. And if they can see Jesus, then we can unite behind, behind that. And then the other things 
we can still choose to disagree on, but we don't have to be violent about it. It's the only answer. We can all sit around and try to figure out who's right and who's wrong. Like I said before, everybody's a little bit right and a little bit wrong. It's an interesting picture here in this passage also that as I was reading through it, I thought was really cool the way this is woven in. So if we look at the story of Zacchaeus, Zacchaeus humbled himself himself by climbing up into a tree. He separated himself from the world, both physically and emotionally. And then he extended grace beyond any expectation. Nobody expected that to happen. Now let's flip that upside down for a minute. Jesus came to earth and extended grace beyond expectation. Jesus did things like taught the undeserving, healed the sick, endured ridicule that he did not deserve. He hung out with sinners, some of the worst sinners. He then separated himself from the crowd by living a sinless life. And then he humbled himself by being hung on a tree. The most spiritually wealthy person ever in existence humbled himself by being hung on a tree for us. He's the only person that ever didn't need to do that. And I love the way that in this passage, with all the things we could learn from it, God took the time to weave in a picture of the gospel. Because of all the lessons we can learn in this book, and there are so many, there's so many things that apply to our life, so many practical things we can learn, so many historical things we can learn. It really all comes down to this. Jesus took our place. And if we can focus on that, then some of this other stuff, while it's important, won't be the thing that divides us because we have a common ground. So some of you are here today and and you're like, wow, I mean, I hear what you're saying, but I've never even taken that first step. I don't, I mean, I've kind of been investigating this idea of of what you guys talk about and, and, uh, but I've never taken that first step. And, And here's the thing, it's not a hard step to take. It's pretty easy. Some of you are here today and you're like, man, I unlocked my generosity many years ago, but I've not unleashed my generosity I need to embrace my salvation and unleash my generosity. And even when I don't understand someone, I need to be generous relationally. I need to look for the opportunity to share an important message with them. Here's what I'd like to do. If you're here today and you've never taken that first step, I'm going to lead you in a prayer to help you take that first step. If you're ready, if you're ready to unlock that generosity in your life. If you're here today and you've already taken that step, I'm going to ask you to take this time to be prayerful and just commune with God and find out what, how you can embrace your salvation and unleash that generosity. So I'm going to ask you all if you would bow your heads. And if you're here today and you've never taken that step and you want to take that step, here's what I would encourage you to do. Just pray, Lord, I know that I can't figure this out on my own. No matter how hard I try, I can't be righteous No matter how hard I try, I can't make up for the things I've done. And I realize that now, Lord. And Lord, I want to claim the gift that you offer 
which is your son Jesus that took my place to give me life. I want to claim that right now. I want to make you Lord of my life. I want to learn how to make you center of my life so that the things that distract me don't destroy me. And then just thank him. Thank you, Lord, for what you've done for me. Lord, I just pray for all of those who have made that decision tonight, today. Lord, I pray that you'd work in their lives. I pray for those here that made that decision a a day ago or a year ago or many years ago, that you would start to work in their lives. And Lord, that we would find a way to focus on you and therefore release that relational generosity that can bring healing to our relationships, to our country. Lord, I pray that you would help us to see what it is you would have us to focus on. Lord, I pray that you would give us the strength to do that, the courage, and the understanding to extend generosity to other people. We lift all these things up in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening. For more resources and to check out our other teaching series, please visit our website at westpines.org. If you would like to speak with somebody about beginning a relationship with Jesus or ask any questions you have about this teaching, please call us at 954-432-0321 or you can email us at podcast at westpines.org.